Let's take a moment to pray to God for blessing on his word tonight. Father, we do ask that the one who has provided us by his inspiration, the word of God, the Holy Spirit may be at work in us too, so that we would receive tonight what is given to us in the truths of your word, and that whether it is in proclaiming it, that word, whether it is in reading it or receiving it, that through it all you might be exalted and your spirit would be at work in the whole process so that again we might receive, Father, spiritually what you have in store for us. It may feed us in such a way so that we might respond in faith, hope, and love for your glory and uh, Lord, also, with your grace at work for our benefit, we'd ask that you'd hear us in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be taking a look at the book of Hebrews again. It's kind of interesting that the men's Bible study is studying Hebrews right now, and it happens to be that a few different times I've been going to Hebrews uh, myself in some of the things that we're uh, considering in our worship time, and it's Today is no exception to that. Hebrews chapter 1. We're going to read that chapter and then consider tonight as we are carrying on with our series out of the Belgian Confession. We're up to Article 10, looking at Jesus Christ as the true and eternal God. And the next time we look at the Holy Spirit as the true and eternal God, is true and eternal God. But today we look at the Son, and consider that as we read from the scriptures that lighten, that enlighten our pathway. So we read from Hebrews 1, and we'll read the entire chapter. Long ago, and this is page 1275 in the Pew Bible, by the way, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. The angels, he says, he makes angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the sun, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you 
with the oil of gladness beyond our companions. Or beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same. And your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Are they not all ministering spirits? Sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. We thank the Lord for his word there. We want to consider the Belgic Confession tonight, Article 10, page 74 in the back of the Psalter hymnal. And it's entitled, Jesus Christ is True and Eternal God. This is what we confess as a Reformed Church. We believe that Jesus Christ, according to his divine nature, is the only begotten Son of God, begotten from eternity, not made, not created, for then he would be a creature, but co-essential and co-eternal with the Father, the very image of his substance, the effulgence of his glory, equal unto him in all things. He's the Son of God not only from the time that he assumed our nature, but from all eternity, as these testimonies, when compared together, teach us. Moses said that God created the world, and St. John says that all things were made by that word which he calls God. The apostle says that God made the world by his Son. Likewise, that God created all things by Jesus Christ. and Therefore, it must needs follow that he who is called God the Word, the Son, and Jesus Christ did exist at that time when all things were created by him. Therefore the prophet Micah says, His goings forth are from of old, from everlasting, and the apostle, he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. He therefore is that true, eternal, and almighty God whom we invoke, worship, and serve. God's blessings to us tonight, as we have prayed for that, may it be upon us this evening as we hear the word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know in your lives, as it's true in mine and true in the world and over history, that being right doesn't always necessarily mean that everybody's going to be your friend, or that everybody's going to appreciate you. In fact, it could even get you killed. Stephen spoke of what was right. And he experienced martyrdom for following Jesus Christ. So did Guido de Bray, for that matter, who wrote the Belgic Confession. No one who lived on this earth, of course, was perfect save for Jesus Christ himself. And if you think about him and his perfection, yet his perfection and, and Scripture's revelation of Jesus Christ as 
God's Son and the perfect Son of God uh, has not kept him from being the center of division. Not just among a few either. Uh, but a dividing that's global. It divides the world from the church. It divides the godless from the godly, the believer from the unbeliever, the forgiven from the unforgiven, the friends of God from his enemies. The Christian from the spirit of Antichrist who denies that Jesus is the Christ, who denies the Father and the Son as First John would tell us in its uh, second chapter in the 22nd verse. Many there are who would, of course, admit to the existence of Jesus, but it's only a Christian profession that follows the revelation of God in his word, which reveals him to be God the Son, according to his divine nature, the unique Son of God that way. And so tonight we're going to take a moment again, focus on the importance of understanding Jesus Christ as God the Son. Understand Jesus Christ that way according to his divine nature. Many different things can be said about his divinity uh, in the church of Jesus Christ, but there's certainly three things that we could say tonight as to why we make that profession, and they have to do with his divine names. They have to do with his divine attributes, and they have to do with his divine honor. All of which can be found not only in this passage tonight, but also in, in scripture in general. And so we look first at, at the divine names and other names that, that move us to profess Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God. Our passage reveals a variety of names that refer to the second person of the Trinity. And among them are the Son, the firstborn, that way, God, and Lord. When the writer of Hebrews uses the word Son, he uses it in two different ways. The one way that he uses it is the way that he also uses the name God and Lord to depict the second person of the Trinity as the, as the one who has created and who, has, who sustains the universe. Verse 2, verses 8 and 9, and, and, uh, and 10 through 12 that way, uh, speak in those ways. You know, verse 2 says that uh, he is the one through whom also he created the world, 8 and 9 speak about how his throne, O God, is forever and ever. And that God, your God, has anointed you that way then with the oil of gladness beyond our comparison. You're, you're sustaining things. Verse 10 and 12 speak to this as well. You, Lord, had the foundations of the earth in the beginning. You laid them, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. You'll remain. They'll all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You'll roll them up. Like a garment doubly changed, but you're the same, and your ears will have no end. But he also uses the name Son as that exalted title that comes to fulfillment uh, in Psalm from Psalm 110 as a result 
of Christ's death and resurrection. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And so while the son is always, has always been the son, in, the, in his condescension, he gains a new name because of all that he has accomplished as God incarnate. The redemptive royal son by which he leads many sons to glory and by which he is not ashamed to call us brothers. And so in that way, we've got a combination about the uniqueness of, of the Son divine as creator and sustainer, but then also as Son of God in a way in which he shares his sonship with others as the redeemer that he is. And, and that wouldn't be the only place in Scripture, of course, in Hebrews 1, where we would read, have this kind of combination that speaks to us about Christ's divine eternal glory and also the declaration of an historical exaltation. If you go to Philippians 2, you hear on the one hand, uh, we hear about how Christ was continuously God. He did not consider divinity something to be grasped. But also that because of his condescension, that he was given the name that was above every name in his exaltation. This was something that he gained historically. But as in the case in our passage, the Philippians 2 passage attributes to this Jesus the divine honor that to him every knee should bow and every tongue will confess as Isaiah 45, verse 23 would speak of. Now some would say that the title firstborn that we see at work here would work against the divinity of the Son of God. But it doesn't. It does the exact opposite. Because when we read that to the divine Son in our passage that it was appointed that he would be heir of all things, and that in his redemptive work, he has obtained that inheritance, we come to understand that firstborn here is not speaking to us about the first one created, but to the divine son, who as divine firstborn, is functioning as the heir of the divine father. That speaks to his role as firstborn, not to his essence as a created firstborn. Besides, if he were but a creature, then why was it that the angels were directed to worship him? We read about that, didn't we? That this is what the angels were called to do, and the angels weren't like Jesus. Jesus isn't just an angel. When he brings the firstborn into the world, Boys and girls think about that in terms of the Christmas story, right? And the shepherds see this glory in, in the, the sky, and it's the angels coming to praise God and saying glory to God in the highest. And as we hear of that, what are they talking about? Well, they're talking about this firstborn son who come, had come into the world, 
uh, who was Christ the Lord. And in our passage here it says, let all God's angels worship him. And isn't that what we really discover in Luke chapter 2, right? And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying. They were directed certainly to praise God in, as a whole, praise the Godhead, but they were called to the worship of this one who had come into the world. So that can't be lost here. That this firstborn, you don't worship creatures. You worship the one who has created. And so the, the angels are directed to worship him as the firstborn when he came into the world, as was revealed to the shepherds long ago. So the names mentioned in Hebrews speaks to us then about the divine nature of the Son of God, which cannot be disputed. People try to do that, but it, it can't be disputed. It, it's, it, it's not the only place, of course, where we can find evidence for the divine Son of God in terms of his names. Peter in Acts 2.21 quotes from John uh, Joel 2.32 that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the divine name. But then, interestingly, that not too long after that, after Peter had spoken that way, we hear in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that there is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved, save for Jesus Christ. It was by the name, by the name by which the Jew and Gentile, the Samaritan, the Ethiopian eunuch, the chief of sinners would be saved. Anybody. And that's a lot what Acts is doing, right? It's, it's pointing out to us. First the Jews, then the Gentiles, then the Samaritan or the Samaritans, then the Gentiles, and the Ethiopian in the midst, and then the chief of sinners, the apostle Paul, as he calls himself. But everyone who calls on the name of that Lord would be saved. It's that divine Lord, of course, for which John the Baptist was preparing the way, right? Who are you, John? Well, I'm the one who cries out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way for the Lord. It was the Word who was with God and who was God, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And so for those who would seek to honor Jesus Christ, if that's what people want to do, then they need to honor Him as God incarnate. Because otherwise you're not honoring Him. And you will not know salvation. And we will not be honoring the divine Father who has sent him. And we may say all we want about what we think about God and how we want to believe in him and, and how we want to love him. 
But not if you do not acknowledge the divine Son who the Father sent. And that's why it's, that's how important it is for us to profess Jesus Christ as the divine Son of God incarnate. So, that's what we believe, that, that Jesus Christ is, is such a God. And, and we do so because of his divine attributes as well. We mentioned from our passage already to an extent that God has revealed to us in his word that the divine Son of God carries with him divine attributes. He's seen as the creator as one through whom the Father created the world, the sustainer of the word world by the word of his power by which he upholds the universe. It's, it's this creator son who's referenced in verse 10 that, uh, that way, and he's described as the, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. When it comes to his eternal nature, verse 7 and, and through 12 speaks about that. And, and to whom can that be attributed except God himself? People want to switch that, right? They want to make the world to be eternal. But it's only God who is that way. And, uh, and that's true, then, that the changelessness is attributed to him here, right? You're going to roll up the, the earth like a garment. The very one who laid the foundation, right? Foundations are things where you start the building, right? And then there comes a, there's a beginning and there's an end to this. But there's not a beginning and an end to this when it comes to Jesus Christ. In fact, later, he would say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever with no beginning or ending of days. And of course, that's part of the consolation that we have about this Savior. He's always there for us. The garment, you know, they'll, they'll roll up, you know, the passage says like a, like a robe, you'll roll them up. They will perish, you'll remain, they'll all wear out. Like a robe, you'll roll them up, like a garment they'll be changed, but you're the same. And your years will have no end. That's speaking about the sun. These, are the, these aren't the only attributes that could be tied to Jesus Christ, of course, and nor does our passage restrict itself to those when it speaks to us about the, the righteousness and, and the justice of this Son of God. These revelations and fulfillments are stumbling blocks to the unfaithful. And of course, again, Hebrews is in that position, right, where there's, there's a, a, a temptation to, to think, you know what, Jesus isn't worth following. And maybe we need to backtrack. And, and maybe we were better off without him, and we're, we're better off without him. But 
But by God's grace, those who believe in the testimony of God come to see that you are not better off without Him. You're blessed with Him. And those who believe in the testimony of God come to see these revelations as essential to their salvation. To our earthly callings. Like we talked about this morning and the week before, right? You want to live a worthwhile life, you have to see the worthiness of God in His Son. You need to see His worshipfulness, right? You worship Him because He is worthy. And, uh, and to properly worship the Lord, you, you have to recognize the worthwhile, the worthiness of the Son. And you need to recognize that to avoid destruction. Because again, there's another therefore here. We could have gone there too, right? The Hebrews is full of these things. If you went on and read in chapter 2, it says, and how will we, therefore, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation. If we neglect the word of his son greater than the angels whom God has sent to save his own. Our profession of the divine son of God also occurs because of the divine honors that he receives. As the divine son of God he's indeed higher than the angels because they worship him after all. He's higher in terms of his divinity and in terms of his humanity. Who should be worshipped instead of or besides God alone? But our confession reminds us of that fact as well as, as mentioning to us that He is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our prayers. He's worthy of our service. He deserves our honor, divinely so. Yeah, it, it, it's He as we as we mentioned earlier, who's called upon for salvation. Joshua would say, of course, in that familiar passage, right, for me, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And yet, Romans 14.8 says that whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. James would say that he is, in his introduction to his epistle, that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul would call Timothy to be a good servant of Jesus Christ in 1 Timothy 4.16. Paul would call Epaphras in Colossians 4.12 as one of you, a good servant of Christ. But wouldn't you want to say the Lord? Wouldn't you want to say God? The honor of God is carried out when we are servants of Christ. Because Christ is God. Paul and Timothy are described in Philippians 1.1 as servants of Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul recalls in Acts 26.16 the vision that he received of Jesus Christ as the one who had said to him, but rise Stand upon your feet because I've appointed to you, I've appeared to you for this purpose. You think about that in your own life, even. Now, of course, not in the apostolic sense, but still as a follower, as a Christian, 
I've, I've appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant. He's appointing Paul to be a servant of his and witness to the things in which you've seen me and to those in which I will appear to you. The true servants of God are servants of Christ. And servants of Christ are servants of God. Because when you're serving Christ, you're not just serving God the Father, you're serving the divine Son of God. Who along with the Father and the Spirit is the one God whom we are to profess. Is the one to whom we belong and the one whom we are to serve. The passage says that God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son. And so when we hear that revelation, it speaks to us about the divine honor that is worthy of the Son. He's the word who has made flesh, who has dwelt among us. There was no greater, greater revelation than the revelation of the Son. He's the last word. In these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Don't need any more prophetic revelations that way. He's the ultimate prophet. Because what can be said greater than what has been said through the Son. It reminds us also then that all that has been spoken was leading to this moment. The Son's not just the last word, but He is the word of climax. He's the, he's the climactic word. He's the one to whom it all is pointing. It's, it's the pinnacle moment. And it's, that, it's in that spirit that Jesus would say in Luke 24, 44, everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Or like the scriptures of St. Colossians 1, all things were created through him and for him. I thought it was for God. Yeah, it is. We see him in Christ. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. Everything. Now, you know, how can you look at the world? How can you study the world without the preeminence that you find in this one? You can't leave him out. It's like trying to suppress, a, you know, I've said that before, it's like suppressing the beach ball in the water. And saying, there's no beach ball. But you're just suppressing the truth. Trying to suppress what's preeminent. Because in everything, he's preeminent. Well, how could that be? 
unless the honor to which he was worthy was the honor that belongs only to divine. Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's where things are heading. Because that's what he deserves. To God be the glory. And it includes glory to the Son. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost. And that, of course, remains the calling for all of us. Whatever we're undertaking. Isn't that? To give glory to this divine Son of God along with the Father and the Spirit, the one true God in everything. Glory for his saving work. Because it's all what he's done. Glory with my whole life, my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. Glory at home. Glory at work. Glory with my friends. Glory with those who aren't my friends. Glory with how I spend my time. Glory with my youth and in my aged years. Whether I'm rich or poor, red, yellow, black, or white, it doesn't matter. When I go home tonight and I look what's in the fridge or what's in the cabinet and then I eat or drink or whatever I do, it's no wonder that we give him glory and take advantage of the opportunities that God gives us to, to worship in each Lord's day and before the heavenly Zion where he sits at the right hand of God, it's no wonder that along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, we worship the unique and divine Son of God. Who marvels above marvels at the same time is not ashamed to call us his brothers as he's leading many sons to glory. And that's, that's the profession. Jesus Christ is true and eternal God. That's the profession, that's the worship, that's devotion that we are to give to Jesus Christ, the divine Son of God. Not just angels, but us as well. Amen. Let's take a moment to respond in prayer. Heavenly Father, it's, it's good for us to be able to take a moment again tonight and to focus our attention on the profession we've been, a, we've been called to make of the divine Son of God. We see Him so in His names, His attributes, in the honors that He is to receive and that He does from those who've been touched by Your grace. Help us, Lord, each and every day to, to appreciate the marvels of this being who has accomplished so much for us and for your glory. Lord, thank you for him and that we could have that privilege of doing what all are going to be called to do and all should do. And everything to give him the preeminence as 
one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord, God the Son incarnate. We'd ask that you'd accept our prayers for Jesus.